It is my honor and uh, really a privilege to introduce today's uh, Ben Williams speaker. Um, our, our speaker today is Pete Blackshaw. Uh, Pete Blackshaw is Executive Vice President for Strategic Services with NM Insight, which is a Nielsen McKinsey company. Um, he is a recognized expert in interactive, interactive marketing and word of mouth and consumer understanding. Uh, and he has, over the years, with his team, worked with a good number of the world's top brands and or, uh, corporations to develop cohesive, uh, consumer-centered uh, digital programs and strategies. Uh, Pete joined the Nielsen Company uh, through the Nielsen Buzz Metrics acquisition of IntelliSeq, uh, where he served as Chief Marketing and Client Satisfaction Officer and responsible for uh, major client engagements and marketing efforts. Uh, in 1995, he founded PlanetFeedback.com, uh, which IntelliSeq uh, acquired. Uh, prior to starting uh, PlanetFeedback.com, uh, he spent several years at Procter & Gamble focusing on interactive marketing and brand uh, management. Uh, he began his career as a press secretary in legislative marketing and brand management, uh, but he began um, as a legislative consultant to con California State Senator Art Torres, uh, where he guided several consumer-focused uh, bills to passage uh, and initiated the nation's first interactive legislative hearing. Uh, Pete is the author of Satisfied Customers Tell Three Friends, Angry Customers Tell 3,000, uh, which may be a bit of an under, underestimate in today's world. Um, he writes a bi-weekly column in Advertising Age, uh, co-founded the Word of Marketing, uh, Word of Mouth Marketing Association, uh, he currently serves as chairman of the board uh, of the National Council of the Better Business Bureau uh, and sits on the National Advertising Review Council. Uh, Pete is a graduate of the University of California, Santa Cruz, uh, with a BA in politics, and he is also a graduate of the Harvard Business uh, School. Uh, if you would, please join me in giving a very warm Baylor in Texas welcome to Pete Blackshaw. Um, I think I'll, can you hear me okay? Is the mic working? Okay, great. Um, very honored to be here, Chris. Thanks so much for the uh, intro and also the wonderful uh, tour. Beautiful region. And uh, looking forward to get to know the campus and all of you uh, much more. Um, also very excited that some of my uh, WOMA colleagues are here, who we'll hear from later on, Spike and John, who uh, have been uh, co-creators in what I think is a, a very important movement in um, in word-of-mouth ethics, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, So I thought I would, um, speech is the wrong word, I thought I would, let's, let's kind of kick off a conversation um, on, a, on a number of kind of themes, um, maybe use this as a bit of a catalyst for um, the, uh, the uh, panel discussion um, afterwards. But what I thought I would kind of, I, I thought I had like three kind of simple messages. By the way, that's a photo of my father who passed away a few years ago, but he was one of the original Mad Men. And um, a lot of my, uh, started in BBDO in 1960, and a lot of my passion, my emotional connection to the advertising and marketing space goes back to you know, all the jingles he used to bring back at home. But my dad was also incredibly passionate about uh, marketing ethics, and that's something I've tried to carry the torch um, with uh, lately. The, um, a couple messages. I think um, trust is getting really complicated. It's, uh, and I think social media is raising the stakes in a big way. And we're just in the early stages of trying to figure this out. 
number two, the conversation can turn against us, uh, leaving a, a trail of hostile, what we call, you know, kind of earned media or spurned media. And I think we've got a whole different accountability principle emerging when uh, the conversation nests itself online. And I'll talk about that in a bit. And I think, you know, I think as an industry, you know, not just an advertising industry, but all of us, I mean, educators, uh, students, uh, marketers, all business professions, we really need to be um, much better listeners to the conversation that's out there um, and much, much more proactive in addressing issues related to trust. And if we do that, it's win-win for everyone. A couple personal foundations, uh, a ridiculously long bio, it's, uh, <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to hear that, uh, but uh, I'll kind of hit just a couple, um, you know, a couple pieces of the bio that I'm especially, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm actually a UC Santa Cruz um, graduate and my first, um, my first branding experience was uh, co-creating the, uh, the logo for the campus and it was a bit subversive because we had a chance that wanted to create a different mascot and we're, we're out in the redwoods where the banana slug, you know, shares a symbiotic relationship with the, uh, with the forest. So we created the banana slug. And, um, you know, I learned a lot at that time about the power of authenticity and about fan participation in, um, in creating a, an identity and the, um, you know, that logo. I started a business selling T-shirts, but it, it's, it's become like this really important... Um, um, you know, identity for the school, and it's kind of rallied alumni and the like. Um, and that was probably the early seeds of my thinking about marketing. I get a lot of credit because I was at Procter and Gamble, um, and we did a lot. I led digital strategy, and we were interactive marketer of the year. But I probably would give most of my credit to the slug for treating me, <laughs> kind of teaching me a lot about you know the essence of brand and kind of keeping the message consistent. And you know, those are the things that we learn in the college years. So don't underestimate. Um, even the informal things we pick up outside the classroom. Um, the, other, um, the other kind of inflection point for me was I started a company out of Proctor called planetfeedback.com. Um, you know, we used to call ourselves the Better Business Bureau on steroids, which didn't make my current colleagues at the business, Better Business Bureau happy, but, the, um, but it was one of the early kind of social media plays. We were, how do we help consumers write positive or negative letters to companies. We was like a letter generator on steroids. Um, and I learned a few things that I kind of I've, have really helped to shape my attitudes about the way the world is working today. First off, it was very clear as we were helping consumers that being heard is not just about companies responding. We always have this, if you send a piece of feedback or complain to a company, you know, we have the stereotype that consumers just want coupons or cookies or whatever it is. But there was something else going on where most of the people that went through the pipeline, they wanted to be heard, they wanted to be dignified, they wanted to be validated by others. Sometimes it was important for someone else to say, I second your emotion, a peer, versus the company responding. And that was a big aha. I mean, in some extent, that's what the whole social media space is. Um, we derive a lot of gratification from sharing pain with others. And I think that's one reason why companies that get themselves in trouble, why things really take off in ways that ultimately we can't manage. And it's really important to kind of think about that ahead of time as we try to figure out how to, you know, build messages we want to promote or sandbag the things we don't. Um, the other thing that was interesting, and I have a slide on this a little later, um, certain talk drivers 
consistently came up. There's certain types of issues that you can almost put predictable forecasting analysis and say, if a consumer gets burned on a certain type of issue, there will be a very predictable level of word of mouth. And we went through like millions of letters and the same patterns kept emerging. So just park that for a moment, we'll come back to it. Um, the, other thing, the other thing that's really important, I mean, this is a big one. I don't think any of us have really internalized this. If you make it easy, consumers will give the love. And we always have had this stereotype that if you, you know, consumers only want to complain. Um, and that's because I think most companies have made the feedback pipe so difficult and corrosive that only the negative stuff gets through. But what we're learning now, especially on platforms like Twitter, where yes, there are celebrated you know, meltdowns with bad news, you know, the vast majority of it is positive. You know, consumers do want to give you know, loyalty and advocacy to brands that they love. We need to work harder at enabling that feedback pipe. And I think for businesses that work hard to develop trusted relationships, that's a massive opportunity. But we have to kind of rethink the model of feedback. Okay, so that's Pete's you know, 2000, you know, year 2000 inspiration. Okay, um, let me kind of hit, so let's talk about trust. I mean, trust is really complicated in this environment. I mean, if you think about it, the, uh, you know, think about 1972 versus today, you know, Walter Cronkite was the most trusted figure on the globe. Um, you know, today, You've got folks that almost skewer us with humor, like Jon Stewart, that really rank high on the trust scale. And it's really important for us to kind of internalize that in terms of like, who are the real trust brokers? And it's not as black and white as it used to be. Um, the, uh, a few other kind of trends out there in the marketplace, we've got you know, proliferation of ad formats, um, some good, some bad. I think marketers tend to um, be a little bit sloppy in this area. Uh, tend, generally tends to be a lot of backlash. Um, break breathtaking innovation in mobile, video, and targeting. I think we're just in the very early stages of that, but a lot of, um, a lot of interesting issues emerge there on the trust uh, level. We've got um, just dramatic levels of consumer control. And it's, uh, it's mind-boggling. Um, and I think sometimes we overhype this notion that Marketers have lost control because they still think marketers and businesses have a lot of leverage points, but uh, boy, is the consumer creating the messages that are ultimately shaping perceptions about us, absolutely, and the platforms and the venues just keep taking off. Um, new era, friction-free feedback. There are very few barriers to providing feedback. That can be good, as I mentioned earlier, because a lot of positive stuff's coming through the pipeline, um, but for some companies, that can be um, very disruptive because areas that we never expected to get feedback, like people are right in front of the counter and they get rude service and they're tweeting it immediately, and that's big. That's big. That's a totally different accountability standard. Um, service is the new marketing. I mean, this is, um, this, is, this is a big opportunity. I think that if you really peel the onion on everything that's going on with marketing innovation on Twitter, on Facebook, it's a big service proposition. We're kind of reinventing this notion of the call center, of the service desk. I mean, Apple's like your extreme example where they've taken the pain point of the 800 number and turned it into the genius bar, which has really become almost like a big money maker for them. It's kind of drives trial. But there's a whole rethink going on around, boy, well, maybe in a world where consumers are in control, servicing them is a form of marketing. 
And I, I predict we're going to see massive shifts from what we call paid media into this earned media area because brands are going to realize that there's a lot of dividends that accrue. Um, and if you look at models that are growing like gangbusters like Zappos or Diapers.com or their affiliates like Soap.com, um, these new e-commerce models are kind of radically reconfigured around a service model. Uh, when I say radical, it means like 90% of their money that otherwise would go to paid media is going towards customer service because they know they get the positive media impressions from it. Um, your brand standing is your shelf landing. This is big. This is big for students. Don't ever forget this. I mean, your personal playlist follows you everywhere you go, um, whether it's the beer bonging, whether it's the, I mean, the web leaves a digital trail and, um, you know, what people type into Google, into Wikipedia or other venues is going to shape our, it's our public resume. And it's very hard to decouple it and say that was college versus, you know, this is professional. And whether employee, employers say, oh, we don't officially look at Facebook, I mean, that's bull. I mean, everybody's doing 360 due diligence on everything. And my next column in ad age is going to be resumes are dead, because I do think they're dead. I think they're texture, but they're not, they're not the substance. People are going right to the heart of that, that more transparent resume out there called the public record of social media. Um, Massive growth. I won't go through um, all the statistics here. It's just that you know the numbers are mind-boggling. Facebook's up to 550 million accounts. I think we're all blown away on a daily basis how it's changing our lives. Um, there are certain segments that are disproportionately using social media. I think moms, for example, are fascinating. The average new mom is is three times as active in social media from a publishing perspective as your typical female, and. And that has big consequences for marketers. Anybody who's in kind of thinking about health or nutrition or safety, you know, those power moms are telling others whether you're full of bull or not, okay? And they are trusting other consumers, and that's a completely different dynamic. And I think it's one big reason why marketers are trying to figure out, you know, how do we woo the moms? Well, that's easier said than done because those same moms will see right through a company that doesn't deal straight or kind of exaggerates ad claims and the like. But there are very important nuances by segment, but everyone is going online, including all the ethnic groups. I did a big study on Hispanics, a lot of areas where they are significantly over-indexing on social media, which some would argue is just an extension of word-of-mouth patterns that take place within that segment. So don't, you know, every, everyone is kind of uh, moving into this space. That has big implications. Um, so let's talk about uh, a few more of the implications. I think we need to think beyond loyalty. Loyalty is not enough. And this is like your classic, you know, this is my favorite chart when I took service management at HBS that says, boy, over the course of a consumer's lifetime, we're going to make more money from um, price premiums, reduced operating cost, um, a certain degree of profit from referrals, but that was mainly factoring in like offline around the water cooler word of mouth. What's happening today is that if you keep a customer loyal you actually have what we call a referral spectrum, where um, if I have a really good experience here at Baylor, um, I'm not just going to tell my wife and my friends tomorrow. I might actually blog about it. I might tweet about it. I might say the food sucked. I might, uh, you know, I, I might do a lot of things which actually leave a residual. It's like an annuity. It's a media annuity. And if you think about, you know, kind of keep the metaphor simple. You know, think about loyalty is more spend per buyer. Advocacy is more media per buyer. And then there's something that I think is very powerful 
um, called user contribution. This is where your loyal consumers are actually doing the work for you. So they're businesses like, um, I think you see a lot of this with Starbucks, you see a lot of this with uh, Intuit, um, where 90% of the questions are being answered by other consumers. And that's a big deal. That means they're really joining your franchise. Um, and if you have a trusted relationship with those consumers, you'll be surprised at how far they will go. Um, and this is where I think some of the most interesting innovation is taking place right now on the user contribution side. Um, the other piece, and I'll, I'll um, spend a little bit of time on this, I think in this environment, brand credibility is the most important asset we have to protect and nurture. And um, you know, the book that I wrote wasn't about social media per se, it was about brand credibility. But brand credibility has been put at risk because of social media. And I talk about six drivers of brand credibility that I think all of us, whether we're in marketing or regular business or just even in our personal branding, need to think about. It's a no-brainer that trust is one of them, but the thing to remember is that trust is really hard to get back in this environment. I mean, you lose it, sometimes you lose it unfairly. It's just really hard to get back. I mean, the, the web can be unforgiving. Uh, you know, authenticity, this one is interesting because I can't quite put my finger on it, but I've been monitoring online conversation for 10 years now, billions and billions of conversations. And the brands that keep getting the dividends are the ones that are really making an effort to come across as more real and sincere, less like a salesperson, more like a real person, short form, not long form, informal, not formal. Um, and so even those little hokey blog experiments where the CEO is blogging, I think that's all good. I think that's actually sowing the seeds of kind of cultural revolution that kind of gets us to a much more authentic essence. And I know we're going to hit some of these points hard in the panel discussion. In transparency, this one is hard. I think brands pull their hair out on this one. But here's the reality. If a brand isn't transparent, every consumer is one click away from full transparency. And so what I mean by that, let's think about like the pet food recall from f five years ago. National attention, every time you went to the news, a melamine this or whatever. So if you took something like the word melamine and went into all the pet food manufacturers and typed it into the, into the search engine on the website, it would fire back a blank. Nothing. You know, if you went to the Pet Connection, a mom and pop blog that was created like two weeks earlier, you type in melamine, it would have anything you would ever need about melamine. They even had a live broadcast of the congressional hearings. If you went to Wikipedia, the melamine definition would have already updated 500 times that very day. And I think that brands now face a choice where even the things that they're uncomfortable at advertising, if a consumer asks about it, they're going to have to ask, do we volunteer that information? Because the worst thing that can happen to a brand is that someone goes to their website, it fires back a blank and they say, screw it you're no longer my trusted authority on your own product. I'm going to a third party. And that's where we're going to have to just rewrite our rules of like what we volunteer, even if it's the stuff that makes us uncomfortable. And that was one of the things, I did a lot of work with Nike in the very early stages of that slave labor controversy. And you know, part of the way they addressed that issue was full transparency. They actually published all their supplier information. And it actually helped almost drive a degree of self-policing within the network. Um, listening and responsiveness is probably the one we would look at and say, duh, 
but it's really hard operationally. This is where, you know, you got to fix the call centers. You may have to ask some hard questions about outsourcing. You have to make sure that the folks that are tweeting with, hey, we give, you know, give us some love are kind of consistent with the folks that are, you know, putting you on hold on the phone. But the brands that are really making a concerted effort to listen and respond are getting massive dividends. And I think, I think this is a critical new criteria of business success. In fact, I've even told my BBB colleagues, boy, as we rewrite the script of what makes a company better, you know, this is something we may want to have to do a lot more auditing against. You know, so that the companies that are really trying to you know, engage with consumers in a thoughtful way to make sure they get due credit. Affirmation is just you type in you know, Baylor into Google, either you're affirmed or you're not. You type in Pete Blackshire, you're affirmed or you're not. It's that whole notion of the, your, 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 your brand standing is your shelf landing, you know, and so, um, and I'll give an example of that in a moment. Um, let's talk about advertising. So if you were, let's talk about trust in advertising. So this is something that we call a brand association map where we'll take, you know, millions of comments and put them into a text mining blender and look at how do people talk about issues? Um, and sometimes we'll do a pre-post, but what's so humbling about advertising, type in advertising, um, notice how the word false is so central to the conversation about advertising. Now, that's a bummer of, a, of, a, of an insight. That just means it's hard to, you know, everyone's pretty cynical. That means anybody who's spending money on advertising has to get around that noise, that interference. And so the question is like, how do we create the new BAM map that maybe has things like trust next to the word advertising. Um, but again, if you analyze the conversation, um, it's, not, it's not what we want to see. Um, I think everyone's done this research, so it's not, there's nothing terribly unique from um, a Nielsen perspective, but if you poll consumers on who they trust, it's people that they know. And you know, interesting, but there's other some big ahas, like brand websites actually have a high level of trust relative to other advertising vehicles. <coughs> and I think the same thing would probably apply to Facebook pages as well. They're a little bit more opt-in, not intrusive and the like. But I think what we need to do is we need to constantly think about like what are, you know, where are the trust levels going? Who's trusted, who's not? Um, you know, text ads on mobile phone, there's a lot of innovation, there's a lot of big money there, but consumers aren't entirely ready, so we may have to go slow, be very careful about where we screw things up with the consumer. Marketers are known for, um, you know, you think about, you know, spam, you think about the pop-up ads, where they're just like massive revolt. We need to figure out how to learn the lessons from our, um, our previous intrusions. The um, affirmation, just a good example, you type in some companies. What's so interesting about Wikipedia is, I know there's debates over is it accurate. What we do know is that it, it edits itself constantly. The average brand is getting edited like a thousand times a day on Wikipedia. So someone out there is checking the numbers and fixing the facts or whatever. But what's so interesting that every single brand, their entire history, the good and the bad, is documented. And to some extent, any skirmish that you've had with an activist group follows you. You know, any bad study is probably indexed there. So again, it's a whole new dynamic with things that we used to be able to sweep under the rug, just kind of follow us in perpetuity, and we have to manage that. And again, consumers are smarter now. They're using apps to get right to the negatives on, on Wikipedia, so we have to think about this. What's interesting about Wikipedia now is that um, for every major brand, Wikipedia is either number one or number two or number three in Google search results. So whether you like it or not, it is inseparable 
inescapable from the purchase process. And that's big. So we have to manage it one way or the other. Um, you know, cheap black shot, good or bad. I don't know, that's, I cannot figure out why that crazy photo is on the right. Um, but it's showing up next to my game. And of course, like, you know, my wife's like, well, is there something I don't know? And I'm like, I don't know where that came from. But, you know, it's just, <laughs> but these, <laughs> but, but, th but this is like the way brand, brand reputation is working. <laughs> and of course, like, I, I'm sure a lot of people like to, every once in a while someone has tagged me in a photo and I've untagged it. Um, <laughs> um, I think, you know, so, you know, what do we do? I think listening is really important. And the good news is whether you're hiring a company like Nielsen that gives you the fully loaded solution or whether you're doing it self with a, yourself with a free tool, of which there are many, there is no excuse not to tap into the conversation. It's infinitely revealing of brand value. Um, it can get you three steps ahead of an issue. Um, and a lot of times it's pretty fun. <laughs> I sometimes find myself lost in, like, curious searches. But, um, but it can really feed the market, marketing process in big ways. On, on, the, on just the pure research side, huge insights. And we've done incredible work with big brands that um, we've almost said, forget the traditional approach. Let's really get into the unaided, unprompted voice of the consumer and come up with like massive new product ideas. Um, there's another piece of it, which is just you know, figuring out the right questions to ask. I think about my experience at Procter & Gamble. We'd spend four days doing focus groups, and we wouldn't figure out the right question to ask until the fourth day. And the key is to figure out the right questions. So you know, maybe there's something in the online conversation that can help us figure out the relevant questions to ask before we write that half a million dollar study or do those focus groups. So again, think like priming the pump. Um, and then on the right side, this is where you get into the marketing piece, which is you know, what are my advocacy drivers? You know, how do I build advocacy? Well, you've got to listen to the conversation and figure out what gets people really excited about you. Um, some of it's just pure insurance policy, like you can't afford not to know, which is big today. And then the, other, the last piece is just like where and how to engage. And this is where I think brands lose a lot of trust, because they just don't know where it's appropriate to step into a conversation. And generally, we're always wrong. We always bring really bad assumptions to the table about when we're relevant, when we're funny when we're engaging. So kind of listening to the conversation help us get really smart on that. Um, here's my comment about talk drivers. So this was from a batch of data from um, Planet Feedback. And you know what's so interesting is that we would um, not only look at satisfaction drivers, but we looked at viral drivers. So for um, like billing, like what is the most viral driver? Anybody know? No, not, I mean for uh, wireless services. Like, what's the most, what, what would make people talk the most? Anybody, any guesses? It's billing. It's not, it's billing. There's something about messing with people's money that makes them want to tell everyone. There is. It's like messing with people's money is like a vile. That's why, that's why I always tell my, like, my financial firm clients, I'm just like, you know, these fees, I'm telling you, it looks like good, it looks like, looks profitable on the surface, but they're bad profits because they, they create venom. You know, it really, you know, and like when people feel like they're overcharged for fees or there's extra rental car, they go crazy. You see it all over the, the all over the, Twitter's actually taking it to a whole nother level. Um, fast food, any guesses what the biggest, biggest talk driver is? Hygiene. Hygiene. And it's interesting because you think about it from a business manager perspective, okay, what do I do? Do I put more money in the billboards or do I clean the bathrooms? 
I mean, I mean, this is exactly what Zappos is doing. Like Zappos is saying, you know what? Let's put another feedback request up. Talk to us in English. Talk to us in Spanish. You want to talk to us? I mean, everywhere you go, and you can tell there's someone in the back room that's saying, you know what? That pays out more than, um, you know, buying a bunch of uh, TV ads. You know, it's the same thing. This is where, in a world of word of mouth, we have to think about like what is the media input, and clean bathrooms are a huge input. Um, auto, it's safety. Something about safety, people talk about. So that's, and then I think I'm sure a lot of auto companies know that. Um, in major retailers, it is employee behavior. Employees in a social media world are an ad channel. I mean, they are, you know, in fact, I think HR and advertising go hand in hand today because the way employees are trained can have a huge bearing on the nature of the conversation. And this is big come the holiday season because you generally have a lot of part-time employees, less training, but consumers are like on eggshells. They're like, you know, stressed out, you know, they're freaked out about money, and then they deal with employees that are not really helpful, and then they go ballistic on, on Twitter. And that's where, th that's where we really need to rethink these, these issues. Um, oh, there we go. Okay, looking ahead, um, there's no margin for error on ethics. And that's a, that's a hard pill to swallow because um, this is such a complicated environment. Uh, one of the things that we've really been thinking about in um, the Word of Mouth Marketing Association and even with the, um, you know, more recently with the National Advertising Review Council um, is, you know, how do we, in a world where so many people are passing on recommendations, how do we know what's real, what's not? Especially when all the marketers are now jumping in a word of mouth strategy. Everybody wants to influence the conversation. And I think some of the areas that we've kind of held on high as part of an ethics standard are things like honesty of relationships. You say who you are speaking for. You know, no shilling or undercover marketing. Um, honesty of opinion. You say what you believe. No deceptive re uh, representations. Honesty of identity. You never obscure your identity. Um, you know, and this is pretty important. Now, it's complicated because in a world of Twitter, you only have 140 characters, so even if you disclose, it's not going to carry on to the next, to the next generation. Um, so how do you do that? Like any time that I, if I say something on Twitter related to Nielsen data, I always have a little thing that says disclosure. I work for Nielsen, but I've used up like a third of my space, you know. And and then you think about like those People Magazine articles for pharma companies where like, you know, five pages are fine print disclosures. It's like, well, why the heck did we do this? So all these things sound easy on the surface, but it's complicated. We're gonna have to figure it out. We're gonna have to figure it out together. Um, I think some of the issues that are coming around. I think you know a lot of controversy around behavioral targeting. I think the industry is trying to stay ahead of that issue, but it really comes down to trust. Do we trust? Yes, there's a value exchange with targeted advertising, but do we trust this notion of the shadow technology following us and then calculating what we like? You know, it's open, open discussion. Um, social media and privacy, social media and kids, boy, uh, still a pretty complicated issue. Um, I predict there will be more um, FTC scrutiny as we try to figure out this whole space. And again, I think the general advice for big companies or other entities, just stay proactive, overcompensate. Um, we need to think about how to engage with consumers. There's a lot of different ways that we can build trusted ethical relationships, starting with the way we work our call center all the way to um, outreach. Again, I would say be conservative. I mean, don't, don't, don't put your head in the sand, but don't feel like you need to um, 
be super aggressive. You can learn based on the mistakes of a lot of others. That's one reason why listening is so important. But there's a lot of different places that you can play. I'm a big fan lately of just starting your own community. I think you can really get smart in this space by building your own user community. Uh, it's getting really accessible, low priced, and uh, you might be surprised at what your almost loyal advocates tell you. Um, privacy, again, stay really close to this. I think some of this stuff is overhyped, but there are other issues that are very legitimate. And again, this is like a, this is a, you know, a brand association map. We need to understand how people feel about the issue, not our marketer definition of privacy, um, but we need to have a lot of conversations with consumers to find out what are those, those deeply rooted uh, fears and anxieties about the space. And we all feel it ourselves. Now that I have three kids, like my views on privacy have really changed. I was saying it over lunch. I'm afraid to, I'm afraid to use GPS when I'm overseas. You know, I just don't want people to know. Pete just checked into the Geneva. You know, it's like, you know, he's not with his kids. Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's just like interesting issues that are emerging. Let me hit a couple kind of predictions for the, um, the coming year uh, that we may want to kind of keep in mind. I think so search is going to get really smart. Search has always been smart, but I think we're going to be doing a lot of searching among our friends' preferences. And I think that's going to have a big implications on the ethics space. Because I think we're going to start to set stricter criteria. Before, we used to always search by lowest price. I think search engines are going to start to allow us to, OK, I only want to buy from companies where the CEO is not a scumbag. Or I only want to buy you know, from companies where you know, they, they meet a certain green threshold. Or I only want to buy from companies that um, you know, don't have a, a legacy of complaints. You know, things like that. But that's, you know, that's if you really look at where a lot of these apps are going. There are all these service utilities that help us shop smarter and better. And so I keep a very close eye on that. I think um, social commerce related, um, just radical innovation. I did not predict this at the beginning of the year. But um, our ability to make smart choices in the store, reviews, right, you know, UPC scanners, immediate reviews, ability to get virtual credits the, sec the second we walk into the gap. I mean, just really, really smart. I think it's going to raise a whole set of new issues. But it is also going to be kind of exciting. I think a lot of this is going to be very empowering. It's going to give us even more control. Uh, we may become a little bit frenetic with our iPods and our Droid devices. I call it the heads down society where nobody looks up anymore. Um, but <laughs> the, um, I do think service is going to push much closer to the center of marketing. And that's going to be big. I think more marketing departments are going to take the customer service department and put it right under them. And it's not going to be this, we're, we're a profit center, you're a cost center. I think it's going to get married up. I think a lot of the e-commerce innovation taking place is going to drive a lot of that. Um, I think activists and detractors are going to get much smarter than ever before. And I think we keep forgetting that. You know, activists have fewer resources, so that naturally they kind of are first to figure out all the things you can do in social media faster. And there have been some celebrated cases where um, you know, activists have brought brands to their knees. Whether it's a group of power moms going after a diaper company, or whether it's Greenpeace going after um, you know, a major food company. It's just, you know, if you really want to appreciate you know, where social media is going, just follow a major you know, activist group or third party group. It's, it's pretty impressive. And, but it's also, and that means they're going to hold all of us to higher standards. And I think brands are going to have to be very sensitive to that. Um, brand managers, I think, are shifting to community managers. I think the way we man, manage brands is going to be fundamentally different. And there's some of the top companies out there where 
it acts, they're, they're creating community managers, which have all the responsibilities of the previous brand manager, but it's much more social. It's much more, you know, and this, that also means a new skill set's going to emerge. So if, for those of you that are looking to enter the workforce, I mean, don't give short shrift to social media. All of that is becoming mainstream. A lot of integration among the vendor space. Some of my friends in the vendor space don't like when I say this. I mean, even Nielsen's vulnerable on this front. I just think we're going to see a lot more integration. We're going to have much more holistic marketing, and um, you know, brands are going to look for certain agencies that can do a lot of things for them. And I think things like social media are becoming the great integrator. They're also becoming the great headache. Um, more word of mouth regulation, and then um, the other thing I was let's see, I've got that's a picture of my daughter. Sophia with the iPad in the car. I just think we're going to see, you know, I think, you know, whether it's the iPad from Apple or whether it's the, I think the whole, you know, the, the pad-based technology is going to take us in directions that are very exciting that we really don't even quite understand. And then the last thing I would say, I think that brands that win are going to have to really think about much more about service. They're going to have to work in much smaller interfaces because we're going to be doing more web interaction with you know, our mobile phones, and we're going to have to really simplify, which even in my complicated slides, I haven't done as well as I could, but we're going to have to really get things down to their core essence. So those are my key words. Do we um, have a moment for any questions? Well, I think what we're going to need to do... Um, Go right in the panel. Is, is we're gonna have, those who have questions, hopefully that will be the enticement to bring them over to the panel, which we're going to have at 1.30. But I think at this point, Dean Manis has a few words to say before it makes an announcement. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. Uh, we really, you know, this is a, a topic, uh, ethics and marketing is something that, uh, that I've, I've been looking forward to. I'm, I'm out of the finance discipline. There's no issues there at all. So I was, <laughs> I was really anxious to see what the issues are in marketing. But uh, tell you what, you covered, let you, covered, off the hook. you covered a very complex issue uh, in, a, in a great way. And I learned a lot here, and I, I'm sure the audience did too. We've got a plaque just to, to let you take with you to commemorate your involvement and uh, naming you as, as our Ben Williams distinguished wow. speaker for the fall of, of 2010. I'll let you take this, and uh, hopefully you'll display that in your office. Or Thank you. Put a, put a picture on the web. Uh, Great. Uh, <laughs> we got to get a photo together and put it up on Facebook. <laughs>